0: Strixon cleveland golf your best performance starts with the right golf ball sun mountain golf bags finn scooters making the game more fun Idell golf hit it flip it dial it in and the macklemore club experience live above the clouds now here's your host chris mascaro
1: Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me this week on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and I got to be honest with you, I'm suffering a little bit from post-master's depression. This isn't the first year this has happened. Like I mentioned last week, Master's Week is my favorite week of the year, and now it's over, and it's like when your best friend comes to visit for a week. You had a blast, and now he's gone home, and you're not going to see him again for another year. hurts a little when they leave. That's kind of where I'm at. But the upside is, it's only 356 days until Masters Week 2023. The consolation is we'll be talking all about last week's tournament tonight, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Congratulations to Scotty Scheffler for solidifying his spot as world number one by winning his first major. What a dominant and impressive win it was. Thank you to Rory McIlroy for electrifying all of us with his final round 64, highlighted by his birdie out of the sand on 18. The patrons went to another level of excitement when that happened. And just when you didn't think it could get any better, his playing partner Colin Morikawa made a birdie from the front bunker on top of him. What a great moment that was for us all to watch. Had a lot of fun watching those two guys not only make the shot, but then celebrate with each other. I hope that final round is something that Rory's going to be able to put in the memory banks to build off of for next year as well. Okay, before we get into this week's show, I want to start off just like I have for the last several weeks by thanking all of you for your support of the show. Your votes have pushed a show inside the top five of the podcast magazine Hot 50 list for the month of April. So thank you so much for that. Please continue to vote daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash Hot 50. You can vote daily for three of your favorite shows. And I thank you so much that you're making Next on the T one of them. Okay, on to tonight's show. My first guest is going to be one of the top 100 instructors in the game, Eric Johnson. You guys know how much I love every single time Eric comes on the show. He always makes this segment so much fun. Tonight, I'm going to get Eric's perspective about what he saw during the Masters, what he saw from Tiger. We'll also talk in length tonight about when will players learn not to go for the pin on 12 on Sunday. I get that that pin looks so inviting just hanging out there on the right side of the green. But going for it invites double or worse into the equation. Cam Smith's dream of a back nine charge drowned in Rays Creek, just like so many others before him have done. I'll talk to Eric about that. How to get a hole like that when you've had so many bad experiences, how do you get it out of your head? Jordan Spieth could certainly learn from that. He made triple there on Friday. Plus, we'll talk about how to generate more clubhead speed and a whole bunch more when Eric joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from former tour player turned tremendous broadcaster Frank Nabilo. Frank was a part of the CBS broadcast team this week at the Masters, so I'm looking forward to getting his thoughts from what he saw, maybe some things that he gets to experience behind the scenes that we can only dream about, so maybe we can live a little vicariously through him. Plus his thoughts on Cam Smith, who has had water troubles in other tournaments as well, from hitting it in the water during a playoff last year at the Northern Trust, to his struggles on the final hole when he chipped it into the water at the Players' Championship, to the two balls he hit in the water on 12 on Sunday. We'll hear about that and a lot more when Frank joins me about 20 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a return visit from a guy who knows more about the Masters probably than anybody on the planet, and that's John Patrick. John is the host of the Augusta Gall Show, and I believe he's been covering the tournament for the last 38 years now. We'll get his thoughts on all of the above plus his recent visit with Roger Malpe. Looking forward to having John back as part of the show. He'll join me later on in this hour. Then we're going to round things out tonight with a return visit from the former president of the PGA of America, Susie Whaley. Susie was also a part of the broadcast team. We'll hear what stuck out to her. I'll get her thoughts on the Augusta National Women's Amateur, plus stories from when she first fell in love with the game of golf, and an update on her daughter Kelly, who recently did something absolutely amazing out on the European tour. Susie's going to join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to give a shout out to my friend Gary Tenner for winning this year's Masters Fantasy League Pick'Em. Gary way outdistanced me and our friends Chris and Steve Tully. Gary finished with 73 points to my second place and Chris's second place, 48 points. So. Blew us out of the water. Not only did all four of his players make the cut, he picked Scotty Scheffler and Cam Smith along with Hideki Matsuyama and J.J. Spahn. Really doing a great job putting that team together. Our friend Steve Tully did what he does best, finishing last. He's a Mets and Knicks fan, folks. He's used to that sort of thing. Giants last couple of seasons as well. So uh, last place is no stranger to Steve. But Gary, congratulations, my friend. Well done. Looking forward to doing it again next year. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I were there last year for our annual golf trip, and it was so amazing. We're going back again this year. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on premise restaurant called the Craig has outstanding food and service, and the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. Can't say enough great things about it, folks. Go online to the macklemore.com to see for yourself how spectacular the place is. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digester oh by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000, and Golf Links Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all bragging about it by going online to themaclamore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap back design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance throughout the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional or not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. Okay, now back in making his 16th appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is not just one of the top 100 instructors, according to Golf Magazine, but one of the top instructors on the planet, and that's Eric Johnson. Eric has obviously been a great friend of the show, going all the way back to season number one in 2014, No one makes this segment more fun or one that I look forward to more than Eric does. Let me remind you about his background. Played his college golf and was a four-year letterman at Mississippi State from 1992 to 1995. He helped them win back-to-back Kroger intercollegiate titles in 94 and 95. Golf Magazine, like I say, has named Eric a Top 100 instructor every year since 2011. He was also recognized by Golf Digest as a Top 40 Under 40 teacher. He is a three-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He is also a four-time Horton Smith Award winner for his contributions to education. Eric played out on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour. He was the Director of Instruction at Oakmont Country Club for many years. He's soon going to be back in a state where I keep telling my wife we need to move to, and that's Montana. In June, you'll be able to find Eric at Yellowstone Club in Big Sky, Montana. And like I say, Eric is one of my all-time favorite guests but also one of my favorite people on the planet and I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on next on the T. Hey, how are you? My friend,
2: Chris, my man, I, you know, I, I've said this so many times, like, you know, you're the most prepared guy in radio and on the airwaves. And, uh, you know, every time I hear that in the introduction, I, so I played with, uh, Joe today. And, uh, we played at the tanning country club and he's a big fan of the podcast and you and, great Pittsburgh guy, and Randy and Jesse Striver and and they said, wow, you shot 74 today. You played like a pro. And I was like, boy, well, you know, bro is 64, not 74. So it just, it just reminds me how I used to be good at one time, and now I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, when Joe said that today, I was like, okay, they gave me four shots today. I, I can't even believe I'm going to admit that, but I they played me with four handicaps, and they're like, you're a sandbagger. He shot 74. I'm like, guys, Randy shot, he's a 15, he shot 39 on the back. Now, I am going to brag, I've won 35 bucks today, which I will not turn to the IRS. And I, <laughs> I was very happy about winning. Because those, those bandits of a take money from me every time I go there. So it was uh, it was nice to hear the introduction. and I appreciate it. But, man, I, what used to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's beautiful. Hey, I gotta get your thoughts right. We're on the heels of, uh, of the masters. So what, what did you think about what you saw over those four days?
2: Well, um, first of all, it was as the world, it, you know, people say the tired to come back too soon. No. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the world wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. You know, um, we, we, I think we all, uh, wanted to give him credit for the hard work that he's done to even be able to walk the ground. I mean, I personally thought that he would have played St. Andrews first. Um, but when, you know, the world went crazy when the jet landed at, you know, at Augusta and, you know, we're going to play some practice now and see if we can do this. And, and I think it was amazing. Um, Rory still, um, uh, electrified in the final round. I, uh, you know, it almost looked like a, Uh, U.S. Open or an Open Championship to me a little bit in the beginning because it was a little bit survival except for Scotty Scheffler who was just doing stuff that, you know, we just look at and go, was he playing Augusta Country Club or was he playing the National? (laughs) I, I don't know. It seemed like he was on a different course than everyone else. Um, so, uh, you know, to see a champion like Scotty Scheffler come out and do it, um, was, it was amazing. Um, I personally don't know if I would have had the courage to come out and say I was, you know, crying and upset, uh, before the final round. It just shows humility that that young man has. And, you know, he's way above his 25 year old age. I mean, um, he went from the guy that couldn't win on tour. Now he can't lose. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's frightening. Um, from a technical standpoint, I think the path of his golf swing is flawless. Um, I I think right? leg action remind Yeah, I mean it's the path of his swing. In my opinion, is swallowed. Um, the leg action is um, uh, it's uh it's 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 confusing. Um, uh, and um, I don't know. It reminds me a little bit about <clears throat> you know when I first time I played with Duvall in college. I looked at him. he was shut grip and. You know, his face was totally shut at the top and then he ran his legs laterally and, and raised it and hit a bullet cut in the first hole. And I'm like, okay, none of that makes sense. And it's a little bit like Zinger, you know, you got a really strong grip, shut face. They got to run laterally to, to, to not hook it. And, uh, and there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of that slide. Uh, we saw some of that with Norman. We see, you know, like Justin Thomas go vertical. I, I understand the verticals. More than I do the laterals. Um, and so we'll see, you know, I mean, Chris, we just don't know. I mean, when you, when you look at it, I mean, will he be able to continue this? I, I don't know. Um, we've kind of had our, our runs with, well, Rory and JT and Spieth. and you could say DJ and, um, Jason Day for that matter, Brooks Tether, Rom, Kent Lake. They've all been hot for these little portions. But they don't ever seem to have the longevity like a tiger. So, will Scotty keep this going? I hope so. I mean, I I, I think he's a phenomenal young man. And, uh, uh, so I'm rooting for him. And, and I, I, I I hope I think we all love to see when tiger was just robbing people. I mean, you know, (laughs) you always root for the underdogs. But watching dominance is so fun to watch. I mean, like, everybody knew they were playing for seconds. And they'd even talk about it. I mean, you know, when Tiger wins two majors by 27 shots, you know, there, there's something going on. There. That doesn't happen. That's running 105 seconds. It doesn't happen. I mean, um, and they all knew it. Um, <clears throat> so see, excuse when we see Scheffler, you know, keep this up, I don't know. Um, what I saw in a short game, it could be the best in the world. I mean, you know, especially, uh, I believe it's Friday. He hit it to the right of Rays Creek on on thirteen,
3: to the right, even the the
2: bridge there, and then hits this unbelievable pitch and you know stops it in there a foot or two and makes it. You go, know, I don't think they've ever seen anyone over there, and that pitch was amazing. I mean, you know, starting the final round, I mean, hit it left on one over the green, phenomenal pitch makes the putt, unbelievable. You know, number two drives it down the middle, it's it in the bunker, not a great bunker shot, misses the putt. Three drives it way left again, you know, kind of jumps the chip a little bit there and pitch and uh hit the hill comes back, then he makes it. Now, I guarantee you, um, and I've 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 helped him sit really early in his years, and um, long story short, Buddy Martin is an agent, member at Oakmont, I was the director of instruction, said, Take a look at this kid. And I worked with him for three or four hours and <clears throat> there wasn't much to say. And he goes out at Oakmont shoots uh Seventy one from the tips, and the next day she's sixty five. And Buddy said, wow. "What do you think? I can get into the first team of majors <laughs> as fast as you can, like, <laughs> like get them out on the tour, like fast as you can. Sign them right now. Uh, you know, it was one of those like, do not pass go. Like, just get him going. Um, so uh, it was fun to see Cam and, and and watch what he's done and and how he's grown and progressed. And uh, you know, so so we'll see with, with Scotty. I mean, but when I think Excuse me, Chris. When I think he made that uh, third shot on three, that's when Cam had like a body jolt because, you know, Kepler is supposed to make five there. There's no way he gets that up and down. And Cam was in the same spot and didn't, and he made bully. I think Cam was probably thinking, I'm there. I'm tied for the lead if I might not be in the lead. And sure enough, he's back to three shots back. And then obviously had it you know as he said bad swing at a bad time that you know people always you know say to me is that a joke is this that i don't think it's a joke i think you know bad swings come at bad times i mean and other people might have a different opinion on that there are times that we do choke and that we give it away but uh what i saw with him you know making some loose swings kind of you know kind of the throughout the day but um uh, you know i just think that was a bad shot at a bad time I don't know but you know we'll see with Scotty I <clears throat> I wish his you know leg action was a little bit cleaner um, but you know then again I'd say well you know hell you look at uh, you know the top 50 winners in there and not all uh, of the all time winning list and not all of them have aesthetically pleasing swings you know I mean top of my head I'm going to go back here I might get some of these wrong but Byron Nelson, Palmer, Floyd, Torino, Nicholas, Kucher, Zurich, Azinger, yeah. Hubert Green, Phil, Walter Hagen, uh, Billy Casper, you know what I mean? Not all of those guys had aesthetically pleasing swings like Tiger or Louis, Louis Tazen or, uh, 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 uh Charles Sorsell, you know, or Ernie and, or Adam Scott. <clears throat> you know, there's a, or, you know, listen, there's not many Ben Hogan's, right? You know, <laughs> they're probably less perfect swings than there are the ones that have uniqueness. Trevino, I mean, think of that. tuck way inside, pulls it up, down back. You know, I mean, there's just not many of those out there that win repeatedly. So, you know, obviously Scotty's on a roll and got something going, and I, I just, I just really root for that kid. He's just, uh, he seems well beyond his years.
1: So to your point about it being not aesthetically pleasing or maybe just not um, perfect like an Adam Scott that we all picture or a Tom Pertzer. when yeah. things start to go wrong in a swing like that, Eric, like a uh, guy that comes to mind is Matt Wolf. Right? I mean, that swing is, yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. He certainly got out there on tour. He played well in college and, and started out playing really well. He's a guy who seems to have lost himself a bit. He shot 81-78 this past week to miss the cut. But if things start to go wrong and you don't have that sort of net, you know, the, the swing that we all sort of this is how you're supposed to swing a golf club. How do you get it back to where it was, back to where you that the player was scoring well, playing well, and um, when it's so unconventional, like a wolf or like the the slide that Scotty has.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, Chris, when I look at Jim Furyk, he's the ultimate study on the PGA Tour, in my opinion. He's one of the most consistent. Greatest ball strikers, uh, oh seven, seven, I thought he was going to win. I, you know, picked him for a lot of, a lot of shows. And it's a very unconditional looking ball swing, but it repeats. And, and that's just, it has to repeat. I don't care how aesthetically pleasing it is. Some might say, well, Adam Scott's the most, got the most beautiful swing on tour. Well, how many times has he won? Well, not enough. He hasn't won like a turret. Right? I mean, so it doesn't have to look pretty, but it has to repeat. And and, and I'm not being critical of Scotty. I, I just when I just look at some of the all-time classic golf swings and some of the, the wise costs and the the the, the, the Hogan's and the, the, the Ernie's and the Nick Price's and the Aldo, aesthetically so beautiful. Um I mean, Scotty was my favorite player, and he hit it everywhere. Uh, he literally was my favorite player ever, and then I think it was Faldo, and they have two totally different styles of game. I'm probably more than Chevy without the shirt game. I wish I was a little more Faldoish, <laughs> but you know, yeah, uh, I hit it everywhere, and I can't seem to get up. And down, and Chevy and, and, and hit it places where you just go, okay, hold on, a really, and uh, so that's the ultimate in 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 this game, and and, and this is what will I think ultimately, curse. This will determine it. If Scotty can repeat it and he can have you like Kelly, uh after last year, I would have had him winning everything this year. And I'm not gonna call it slump, please don't get me wrong on that. I just you just go, Okay, where is he at? I mean like he just hasn't come out like he, you know, was last year. Um DJ went on those runs and winning all those years in a row and, and you know, now you kind of see him struggle a little bit. And then he went to Steve where he went through his thing. Ricky, Ricky, uh, Fowler. Look at what, what happened there. I almost call him Flower because did you see that thing on the tour event when the guy's like, on the tee, Ricky Flower. You know, now I would say it's stuck in my head, but, um, <laughs> when they're introducing him, I can't get it out of my head, but, but you look at Fowler, he's gone through some rough times where, you know, it's a unique swing. And, uh, I don't know if that has much to do with his swing other than it does his putting. Um, I thought Paul McGinley and Brandel Chambly had some of the best exchanges I've ever heard in my life. And I've got to tell you, I was a Paul McGinley fan and I started hearing him on these telecasts, And I, I, he's like catapulted on my list. I mean, when he talks about life getting in the way, life does get in the way, Chris, you know that. I mean, yeah. we all go through ups and downs and we, 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 we we're on top of the world and we might not be on top of the world. And life gets in the way a little bit, and it's I think it's how you deal with it, and then I think ultimately it's how we you know keep progressing through it. You know, I mean, um I thought one of the greatest things Tiger kept saying is there's no off there's no off days, and, and I got to work every day, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit in these ice baths. And heck, I don't even like cold showers. I, if you think you're getting me in an ice bath, you are crazy. That's not happening. <laughs> you know, I don't like cold showers, but I mean, but but he's in there doing all this stuff every day to try to compete and, and I, I think we're going to see a, if the weather is good as <clears throat> St. Andrews, we might see a little bit more of a uh, competitor that, that has a chance to win. Uh, if it's cold, wet, and windy, I don't see Tiger have a, a real good chance um with some limitations of, of movement. But, uh but you know what? Everybody, well, not everybody, um, uh, how many times have we heard people say, Oh, he's done, he never comes back. Thirteen thirty. Right. Well guess what? He he always comes back. He's like a he's like a cyborg or Terminator. <laughs> like the guy he doesn't have an off Like just you know he like terminator keeps gone. You're like, he's like like no, he's not dead. He's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I just I just I think he's just gonna keep going and I uh, I think we'll see him you know, compete when he can and, 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 and I hope he does I I thought that the um, um I'm not a fan of the term patrons, but I thought the fans were unbelievable to him uh and recognizing what he did. And I think he deserved that.
1: Eric, you mentioned you know, Cam Smith making a bad swing at a bad time and I kinda wanna talk a mental approach because we saw him get out of position, you know, put p- pressure on himself and then um Have an opportunity to make a run, then back at at Scheffler for the back nine. He could have made a spectacular run. He made one of the few birdies all week on 11, and then we saw you know what he did on 12. But what like I can't figure out is we've seen this tournament forever, right? And guys lose their opportunity to win the golf tournament right there on 12. We've seen it in the past. We saw Jordan Spieth lose his opportunity for back-to-back Masters when he put two in the water. On twelve, back in twenty sixteen, we have you know looking at other guys that have done the very same thing back in twenty nineteen. How many guys, you know, Brooks Kepka and 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 the like, you know, Dustin Johnson have an yeah. opportunity to win that golf tournament, but they all put the ball in the water on twelve. Molinarian. And the way to Molinarian? play, you play Did the, the way to play twelve. Uh, the way I've always heard it, and the way we saw Tiger do this in nineteen and in the past, is you hit the ball over the bunker in the middle of 12, in the middle of the green, you take your two putts and you try to continue your charge on 13. Firing at that pin is opening yourself up for double, triple, or worse, but guys keep doing it. Why, what is it going to take for guys to understand, if you're going to make a charge, you just got to take your three on 12 and continue it on 13? Yeah, so,
2: you know, I, this, this goes back to... Uh, this goes back a long way, and I, I'm a. I am I do not know how much time I have, but I'm going to try to make it brief. But the first time I saw Augusta was '91 or '92. We played Mississippi State, obviously, you know that story. But uh, we played Augusta College's tournament, and uh, when I got onto Augusta, I couldn't believe it. And I so we're walking across the crosswalk. I mean, I haven't even, Chris, I haven't even got past number one, and I'm on my hands and knees. I said, "What is this? This thing can't be real grass." And I'm <laughs> on my hands and knees, and the guy at the crosswalk. It's like, my man, are you okay? Yeah, what is it? I said, is this real grass? And he goes, what? I said, is this real grass? And he goes, yeah, now get off your knees. <laughs> I said, it can't be like, it looks like carpet. You know, so then you go down the slope and you're a spectator and you get on there and look at it. And I'm like, wow, there's no green there. And it is like a shot that, you know, so years later, you know, we got to go down with Mr. Brand, who's a at Oakmont won the Bobby Jones Award as a special, special guy. Um, actually Bobby Jones was his sponsor into Augusta. Probably doesn't get better than that one. But um, so we'd go down as an assistant, we'd fly down on Monday in the plane and he'd, you know, bring customers in all week. So we'd get to go on the first plane down with him and then he'd fly us back and then the next customers would come back on Monday night. You know, it was, it was awesome. So we spend a the day there and he'd take us everywhere. he opened up the champions locker room and and the guys are in there, and this was back in the days when they could do this, they were back in there smoking and drinking and playing cards, they're like, hey, Chris. okay, yeah. hey, tell us, shut the door now, okay, see you boys. You know, <laughs> it was priceless, you know. Uh, this is Monday when the older guys are still in there, being able to do that, but, um, and he took us everywhere, and, and then, then to get to play it. So the first time I got to play it, we were down with Mr. Usher and his son, and, uh, uh, passing up, and I got on a 12, and I had to back off. Now, I thought 11 was the hardest shot I ever hit. I mean, like, the second shot into that, I mean, we we played the members' teams the first day, and I had a sandwich in the first day, and I pummeled the draft, and then we played the, the the tips that afternoon, and I hit that crappy little hook, and I had two fifty sticks into the hole, and I'm like, okay, this is the hardest hole I've ever played. You know, I was scared to death on top of that hill. You can't see anything. I bombed it on the, you know, 12 tee box, just like some of the other guys are doing. You get on 12, and it's a scary shot. I mean, it, there's only, I think it's nine paces over the bunker. And you heard Jack say there's six places you need to miss or, that you have to be careful of. You know, you, 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 you can't hit it left on two. You know, you, you, you can't hit it left on, um, um, 13. You can't hit it left on the second shot, 15. You know, um, you can't rinse it on 12 and you can't rinse it on 11. Those are the, you know, six big shots you have. And, why these guys just don't, just, uh, you know, Fred Tubbles, that probably the luckiest break of his life, uh, breaking right. in the side of the hill on 12. I mean, it, and even pulled another ball up and rolled right in, like, it, it's just luck. You have to get lucky sometimes. Um, I think Scheffler got lucky on three when he picked that thing in. And I think that's what really changed that tournament. And, uh, and it, it was so, it was so phenomenal to, to watch. I mean, it, it, it just, you know, when he made that shot, I guarantee you, Cam Smith was like, okay, game on. I got the lead. And I'm sure he probably said the same thing on 11. i have burning 11, and he just he made a bad shot. I mean, it's obviously in Jordan's head a little bit. I mean, but you saw other guys do the same thing. Molinari, you saw Kepka, you saw all those guys when Tiger won. I mean, like they all rinsed it. And you go, hey, fellas, have you ever seen the left side of the green over there? There's a lot of green, and there's a lot of space, and there's a bunker over hey. there. You get the bunker, and you just don't rinse it. Yeah. Get it on dry land, and and they they just they you know, um, Freddie talks about his body always kind of going to the pin. Well, you can't do that there. You 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 just just get a three and and leave yep. and be happy. You know, uh, right. I just I just but but I mean Gary shot. I mean it's a it was an I think I hit eight iron the first time that I played and uh, nine iron and you know nine irons and and and. You know, but it is such a tiny green. And it's on that, that little angle. It just makes it even harder. Uh, it's just a it's a scary shot. Although I honestly thought 11 from the tips was the, the harder shot. I don't know.
1: Eric, before I let you go, and I know you're not a social media guy, but how can our listeners stay up to date with you and then catch up with you when you head up to Montana this summer?
2: So ericthonsonjolf.com. Twitter, which you know how much I put on there. I'm going to start. I keep saying that. I promise. You've you been saying that for five I 14 years. Times no. in a row. I think I, I think has been 14 <laughs> times in a row, but, um, you know, I, don't worry about me, but I, I want to say one thing. I, I, I saw Frank novel at uh, in 16 and I, uh, he was one of my idols growing up and watching him play, um, you know, back in 94 and I looked it back up tonight and he played so great at Oakmont. Um, and I said to him at 16, I said, I really love you. I love you as a commentator, but I love you better as a player. He kind of scoffed that off a little bit. And I'm like, no, really, man. He, when I was at <laughs> Oakmont, you were like 69, 71, 68. I don't think he played good in the final round, but you know, I think he's still top six or something. But you know, what a player and honor to, uh, uh, uh watch him growing up. And so I, I hope, I hope everyone really listens to him and what an amazing commentator. and 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 show you have tonight to see all she's done for the PGA of America. But Frank Navarro, he was my, he was one of my heroes growing up. He was right there with, with uh Led and or uh, uh, Saldo and and Seve and you know those Europeans, Darren Clark. All those guys were cool. Everyone else on the tour was, the American tour wasn't cool, but those guys were cool. <laughs> so tell him, I, I tell him if he's not listening, tell him how much of a fan I am of his. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm sure he can hear as he waits to come on. So I'm sure that that's uh, a wonderful compliment to him. Thank you for sharing that, Eric.
2: Yeah, my I friend, you're the best. Said, hey man, listen, all the best. I love you and thank for everything and keep keep doing what you're doing. You're the best ever.
1: I appreciate you, Eric. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch you up soon. Yes, sir. See you, buddy. Bye. See, that is the great Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson Golf is uh, is the website. Eric's going to be up at Yellowstone Club in Montana this summer. So if you're anywhere in that nape of the vine, you need to go check out Eric. Again, he's one of the top 100 instructors by Golf Magazine and has been so for many, many years. And like I say, Eric has been a wonderful friend of th- this show as he has uh, been joining me every year since uh, we started, uh, you know, nine years ago. We're in season nine. So I can't thank Eric enough for all of his contributions to this show. Makes the segment so much fun. Before I get to my next guest, Frank Nabilo, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Shrixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Shrixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Shrixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Srixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Srixon. Check them out online at Srixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear, Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back in making his fourth appearance with me is CBS golf analyst Frank Nabilo. Let me remind you about Frank's background. He's from Auckland, New Zealand. At the age of 18, he won the New Zealand Amateur Championship, becoming the second youngest player ever to win that title. He turned pro in 1979. His first professional win came at the 1982 New South Wales PGA Championship. He won the New Zealand PGA Championship twice in 1985 and 87. He joined the European Tour in 1985 and got his first win on that tour at the 1988 PLM Open. Frank finished in the top 50 in the European Order of Merit every year from 1988 to 1996. In all, he won 14 times around the world, including two Sarazen World Opens, and the 1997 Greater Greensboro Chrysler Classic on the PGA Tour. He played on numerous World and Dunhill Cup teams for New Zealand, and was a three-time member of the International President's Cup team. In the mid-90s, Frank recorded top 10 finishes in all four majors, including a fourth-place finish at the 1996 Masters, a ninth-place finish at the 1994 U.S. Open, which Eric talked about just a moment ago, 10th at the 1997 Open Championship, and 8th at the 1996 PGA. So you can see, from 1994 to 1997, Frank was one of the best players in the world. He joined the Golf Channel in 2004 and was a lead analyst for their PGA Tour coverage, plus their in-studio shows, Golf Central and Live From. And now he's a fantastic analyst for CBS Sports, and I'm honored he is back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey Frank, thanks for coming back on the show.
3: Chris, uh, I'll I tell you, keep um, saying things like that. I, I'm, I'm going to have to do it more than four times. It's almost embarrassing. Thank you. And as for Eric, he's now part of my PR. He's actually <laughs> the head of my PR team. Um, I, just, I heard the whole thing. I, I, I am a jerk. I am everything. I am apologize for the allergies if I sound a little bad. But, um, yeah, no thank, you. thank you. Absolutely.
1: Frank, you do such a great job. I always love watching you do a golf tournament, and you take, the Masters tournament and you paint the pictures and, and the analysis you do takes it to a whole nother level. Um, talk about what you saw this past week and what stuck out to you.
3: Well, I don't want to hog up the whole show. Um, as soon as Tiger Woods first said he was going to play, it was going to be different. Um, I tried to say on Sunday there was a brief moment. I said, you know, there were two races. It was Tiger Woods, you know, basically running a marathon. And trying to finish, and then there was a sprint for the finish. You know, Cameron Smith and Scotty Scheffler, and actually at the end Rory McIlroy. But um, you know, I know people often think we do too much with Tiger Woods, but it, it was heroic. I, you know, I I played with him in the in the late nineties, early two thousands before I stopped. But you know, and I gave up for injury, so I know what it's like. But what he went through, and just at seventy one on day one, he beat half the top ten players in the world. And he hadn't played for five hundred days, so. I don't know what that is in anyone else's book, but that was that was monumental. So, so he got it off. You know, he basically, was the curtain raiser, and obviously, we still had to keep watching that show. And then it reminded me also of the the 19 early 1990s. I was watching Gold Channel, um, my previous employer, on uh, earlier on in the week, and they had the uh, 91 and the 92 Masters. And in those days, you always just used to look at who was the hottest player that year in wasn't number one in the world. Coming in 191, Fred Couples was playing his best golf ever, 1992. So I remember um, doing uh, Mad Dog Radio on the Wednesday, and, and Chris Russo was asking and I said, same thing. Reminds me of the early nineties. Uh, you know, would you rather have a hot hand, Scotty Sheffield, Cameron? They're the two best players in the board right now this year. I'd be surprised if they didn't contend. I didn't know they were going to win. You know, and basically take the show the whole way. But I thought it was incredible. You know, we had we had cold, blustery conditions. People often focus on how hard the course is, but it was. It was if, if you're a golf aficionado, it was a great Masters.
1: Frank, as we talk about Cam Smith, if you look back over the last year, he's had a tremendous 12 months. I mean, he made a run at the Northern Trust last year, obviously a huge victory at the Players Championship, and then really contending until the back nine here at the Masters. But I'm not sure enough people are aware. Of what a great career he's had to this point. Talk about how great a player he is.
3: Well, I first saw him, Chris, in uh, in Thailand for the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship. I'm fortunate to um, call that initiative with Augusta National, and that was the year that Guan Tena Long won. Matter of fact, Pedekin Matsuyama stayed professional. Sorry, stayed amateur. He was trying to win the event for the third straight time, and he was beaten by a 14 year old kid in Guan, who was still the youngest to play the weekend at Augusta National. And I met the Australian team. And there's a there's a little story, you know, that all the guys um, get to basically take a picture with the chairman, and the chairman was Billy Payne, Chairman Billy Payne. And uh, Cameron Smith, who was a little weedy guy, probably the lightest guy on the Australian side, Go, you know, he basically said he didn't want to sit in the back row. He wanted to stand right next to Chairman Payne. He said, because this is where I'm going to be. It was 10 years ago. I've followed him ever since. Our producer now, Salishai, who also produced that. So he's kept an eye on, him and, and he—I hate the word overcheat because it, it sounds like someone's um, playing beyond their station. He's just continually got better, and he's got heart. Um, as is Scotty Scheffler, and you know, Scotty Scheffler a huge amateur career, but to answer your question on Cameron Smith, he—he's—he's he's, he's playing in a time when so much focus is on equipment and the ball going too far. He just gets out in place. When you see the way in which he won the Players Championship, even his speech afterwards, people were trying to put words in his mouth, and he has the same attitude that a Tiger Woods, a Nick Feldo or a Jack Nicklaus had, which is, I'm just going to play golf. You can talk about how important it is and whatever, but you know, it's almost like sea ball, hip ball. That's really, really hard to do in big moments. That's what he does.
1: Frank, I was talking to Eric a little bit ago about guys and their decisions for how they're going to play 12 on Sunday. We've seen so many players have an opportunity to win the Masters when their ball ends up at the bottom of Ray's Creek. I I understand that the flag looks so inviting over there on the right-hand side. It seems like the plane, we've seen, we saw Jack Nicholas do this, we've seen Tiger Woods do this. The plane, regardless of where the flag is, is to hit the ball over the trap, take your three and move on and continue the charge on 13, on 15, etc. But guys keep going for that 10. It, and I know you played there several times. What what's it going to take for players to understand? Even though it looks nice, I can't I can't shoot at that flag.
3: Yeah, it's it's a great question. There's there's actually not an easy answer there, Chris, because you know Cameron Smith was, <laughs> excuse me, make you know the tremendous three that Eric had just referred to on eleven. So it was game on again. And Eric's also right about what happened at three. It looked like Cameron Smith was going to take the lead. So it was that yin-yang approach, and he stood on that tee, and it was a 9 nine and the breeze was off the right a little bit into, into. so it actually sets up well for him, but he waited for the guys off 13. Um, Nick Faldo referred to that, actually. It was just a wait, and and you're right. They're not trying to do anything crazy. You know, Jordan Spieth made another triple there on Friday this year, right. and that's actually the biggest, biggest mistake I've made on TV. I was doing both CBS and golf channel and when Jordan was coming through and it was mentioned by Jim Nance, you know, the lead that he had in 2016 when, um, when Danny Willett won and it was, you know, foregone conclusion. He was going to win back to back masters and he stood on 12 and I was basically, i be honest, I was getting my paperwork ready. I'm like, okay, makes it three and four here maximum. I'll go back. I'll start getting ready for the live prom show and, um, you know, we're going to christen. Uh, Jordan Speed for the second straight time. I never thought it would come down to that. I never thought he would make consecutive mistakes on the 12th. And that's a guy that was at the height of his powers. So it just does crazy things. It was 160 yards on Sunday. It was a perfect 9-9, really, for, um, for, you know, for Cameron Smith. He had just made a birdie. He was in the right frame of mind. I think his, his, the shot he was trying to do was sort of aim at the flag and let the ball draw back over the bunker. There's a 12-yard gap over that front bunker if you if you look at the middle of the green. So you have about a club to work with. And it's just he just made the worst swing at the worst time and twelve has that effect on people. It's it's I don't know, it's mesmerizing. You see the pines, you I remember years ago when I first played there, I was always told look at the flag at, at eleven all week because of that west wind. The West Wind is the hard one. Blowing from the north. That's why there was no Eagles at fifteen. It was blowing into the people's face faces. That's also why 11 played brutally hard. There's only nine birdies at 11 a week. Um, you stood on that and there's that puff of breeze and, and you get that eddy effect. The breeze, you know, you look at the 11th flag, it goes one way, you look at the 12th and it, it was actually blowing left to right. So you get deuce. You could, if you listen really carefully and we laid out for that, as Caddy's trying to tell him exactly where the wind is, but your eyes deceive you. You look up and you see a flag going the other way. So you, um, you know, if you make a player uncomfortable, it doesn't matter how good they are. Uh, they, they, tend to make mistakes, and um, that's the beauty of the golf course. You don't see water for 10 holes. You see it on 11, 12, 13, 15, and 16, and that's why it changes there. It's it's, Bobby Jones got it right when he was trying to uh, get the golf course and they flipped the nines. Originally, that was the front nine. I don't know whose idea that was. But when they flipped the nines, I don't know, they just created magic. And the more they play, the harder it is for someone trying to win the Masters because you've just seen what happens. And it's hard, you know, call it ghosts or whatever, or memories. Players fight those. And it's, uh, you wouldn't want it any other way, but it's 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 cruel. And you would sort of look on Cameron Smith's uh, face. It was just pain. You know, it was just straight pain. Yeah. Sad to see. It.
1: Is that the play? If, you look, if you're standing on, the, on 12T, to really not pay attention to what the flag is doing on 12 to just pay attention to what the flag is doing
3: over on 11? Well, you know, you... you Normally the the caddies will go out with the wind sheet. They knew that the breeze was blowing from the west, right? So they got it written in their book. They know it's coming, just you know, probably at about you know one or two o'clock when you're looking at that tee. So you know that, but then you know you wait because 13 there was a hold up, So he's waiting for people to you know come down off the tee. So he couldn't just stand up there and hit it. And of course, the more you look at it, you start looking like, well, hang on, the breeze is blowing this way, or it's the other, it's blowing that way. And and you you almost find a way to hit a bad shot. Um, that's not the only course that does that to you, but it's just, it's at the wrong time. You know, he just made a great birdie, and Scotty Schiffle made a great puff for par. You can't say enough about that. So he knew that he couldn't just hit it in the middle of green. In hindsight, obviously, he should have, especially because Scotty hit such a bad shot, really. And But, it, you know, it finished halfway up the hill and ran down. They could have stuck up the hill. Um, but, you know, that's, Scotty still did the right thing. He made sure he did not go right at the flag. Well oh, sorry, did not go right at the middle of the green. The Jack Nicholas way, the Tiger Woods way, as as you alluded to in two thousand nineteen, is you aim at the middle bunker. And I looked at that, I went down there when I checked the flag, and if you're in the if you're in that front bunker, it's a relatively straightforward bunker shot. Given the conditions, of course. Back bunker's no good. So Jack Nicholas would always aim at the middle bunker. If he come up a little short, the worst he was gonna do was make four. Back bunker, same thing. So he had a club and a bit to play with. But, Hey, these guys play such aggressive golf week in, week out. They get a golf course like that. They do not want to play lab golf. Um, it's hard. You know, they've got to break a habit. So that's what's, that's what's good about it, in my opinion.
1: And Frank, Rory McElroy electrified the patrons on Sunday with his final round 64, highlighted by that sand shot that he made on 18, and then Morikawa right on top of him. But for Rory, is that something that he can use as Something to put in the memory bank. I shot 64. I played my best round ever at Augusta National that he can ride into next year. Or is that just too far off and you can't really do that? And it's it's just one great round, but next year is just going to be completely different.
3: Um, I think it's both. I think next year will be different, but, but in the back of his mind, he, he now knows he can shoot 64 on Sunday. He now knows he can do that <coughs> and that he didn't know that before. And it might have you know he could have nearly stolen that. It would have been so different to his other four majors. It's a bit like oddly enough, Tiger Woods in two thousand and nineteen that's the first major he's ever won from behind so if Woods if happens to get his game back, for example, like St. Andrews, and he's there and he's got a chance you know and he's a few back on eighteen he will be, with eighteen to go he will believe that because he doesn't have to be a front runner so yeah any athlete's going to take the positive out of that, so Rory now knows. Whether it's just I went out and played, whatever it is, whatever whatever attitude he had on Sunday, I I think that will defeat the look that we saw of Rory on, on uh on Thursday when he actually he looked like he fought well for about sixteen holes and then he wasted what would have been a very solid round. He should have shot seventy one or seventy on Thursday. But he spoiled the round, and that's often what he does at Augusta. So there had to be a difference. On Sunday, whether he thought he was out of it, whether he thought it didn't matter, but whether he let the course come to him—I haven't seen him yet. Um, and obviously, that's what—that's what I would ask. He and Harry Diamond, as caddy, there's some—there's something there. So he—he he will draw from that. Whether that opens up Pandora's box and he just win majors again—that's up—that's up to him.
1: Frank, just a couple more before I let you go. And the next major is the PGA Championship, which is played this year at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm. You guys are going to be covering that event as well. And that course has got a lot of rich history. 16 championships have been played there. You played there back in 94 at that TGA. As we look ahead to that, is it, A, one of the things I've heard is it's just as difficult a walking golf course as Augusta National is, and, B, what what do you expect to see a month from now?
3: Well, the May day, you know, it, you, when I played there, it was like the August day, so it used to be as hot as hell. Um, so I'm curious if May is better if it's milder, so therefore it's a little more bearable. I remember as a player there, just as hot as I've ever been on a golf course, it was 100, 100 degrees, and I remember doing that in the event as an announcer. I went through three jackets that week, literally. Wow. I mean, I them out. I mean, I had to throw them away. So the heat can be quite oppressive there, which becomes a factor, especially if you're uh, an ailing player or an older player. Um, but I think the way these younger players are playing, you know, if, if one of them prepares well, um, you know, these guys are starting to get a break. I, I, I heard Hank Haney say it's never been easier. I don't agree with that. I just think it's an opportunity. You know, it's like you know tennis. I'm a tennis fan as well. I know that Djokovic got beaten today because he hadn't played for five months. So we're seeing the best players in the game play golf and win right now. That makes them dangerous going into major championships. So. This is this is opportunity knocks this year because these guys are young, they haven't been beaten, um, they they they're getting used to winning and they're winning in bunches. So you know, a confident player, a confident athlete is is always doing. That's what made Woods so good, Vijay Singh when he got to world number one. You know, Johnny Miller, you know, Tom Watson. Pick pick your favorite golfer. When they got hot, they won and they won and they won in bunches. And that's what we're starting to see. What Scotty Scheffler has done already. I think, and it's come at the right time because we all talked about how prolific he was on the corn ferry, obviously, his amateur career. But it looked like he'd lost the winning way. Well, he's got that back now. And you know, when you look at the topsy turvy way in which he won Augusta on Sunday, that'll only give him confidence. Cameron Smith won a Players Championship and with a gutty, you know, gutty five up 18 and a great shot into 17. Got a lot of players like that that are that are, are not scared. So, you know, I think. You know, Tulsa is, is is going to be a great opportunity. Uh, Player of the Year is going to be up and up for grabs. You know, Morikawa could quickly get to three majors. Could see a return to Rory, but he's, whoever it is is going to have to shoot. You know, it, it, not just the best score. they They're going to have to stand up against some really, really good young players who not who the, who the audience don't necessarily know you as household names.
1: Frank, I've had an ongoing social media battle with some folks who say that it was easier for Jack Nicholas to win his eighteen majors because there were only a handful of players that he had to go out there and beat, unlike Tiger, because there are a hundred guys that could win a tournament now. But I don't buy it. I don't buy that the top one hundred in the sixties or the seventies aren't as good as the top one hundred now. I mean I get that the funnel is much bigger because we have more people coming into the game now. But once you kinda get down to the who are the top one hundred, I don't think that the top one hundred now are any better than the top one hundred then am I wrong
3: about that? No well, no well actually, I would say like fifty to hundred are I think they're better prepared. you know the technology, the coaching um I, I think generally they swing the club better. that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to have a copybook swing to succeed in this game. We saw that with Scotty Shepley. he's got some old moves in there, but I think when you go back to the Nicholas era, I remember my uh country's Bob Charles. there was ten or twenty guys that used to travel the world and they competed regularly on each other. So, you know, golfers didn't play for nearly as much money. So they all couldn't afford to, to go around the world and play regularly against each other. Now that's not an issue. So, you know, competition breeds better players in my opinion. But the, the other thing when, you know, it's very hard to compare generations in my opinion, because those careers are finished. Jake Nicholas is finished with, you know, 62 wins and, and 18 major championships. Trevino, amazing player same thing, one of the greatest players I've ever played, with just his ability to move the ball around, Johnny and you know, Tom Wisecott, you go through, you know, Tom Watson, you know, then you go back, Byron Nelson, Ben Hogan's, but the game now with with the way in which technology has been allowed to go, let's be honest with that, you know, if you couldn't if you, you could hit a long arm, you you were gone in the 60s. I mean, that was one of the changes this year at Augusta 15. I remember talking to Trevor Emmelman who has that hole, and, I, and he goes, well, you know, people are saying it's it's not the same. I said, well, they want the same as what Jack Nicklaus had, which is standing on the top of the hill with a one iron, having to hit a shot like a one iron into a green that big. That green is no smaller than what it used to be. And if you're Jack Nicklaus, I know the green might have been slightly so, and you've got to come up with a shot like that for Chip when he laid up with, you know, when he could have reached. That's what they want to replicate. They have had this generation had a little bit of easy streak because they've been able to get them with eight, eight irons and seven irons and things like that. So I like some of the changes I've made. They're tough. Generally, across the board, if you're not a very good long-arm player, you put a hybrid. If you're not a good pitcher or dunk player, you put in a 64 or a 60-degree. So it's much easier, in my opinion, to to block gaps in your bag that players used to have. That's one of the reasons why Trevino didn't play Augusta for a while until he had a 7-boy. He thought he just couldn't play there. it was a low-ball hitter. So that doesn't really exist now. So now I think there's... There's a multitude of ways for people to excel that wasn't there before. I think that's the difference in the generation.
1: Frank, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they're going to be able to see you over the next several weeks and then follow you mm-hmm. online.
3: Um, Well, I, I have to apologize. I'm not really a, a tweeter per se. Um, I I, I'm a, I prefer to say to talk to people early. Um, so but I do have Frank underscore uh at Twitter, I think. Isn't that how it goes? How about that? Um, but we have a foundation, the Noble Foundation. My wife sort of quarterbacks that we try and uh take underprivileged children shopping in Orlando, we're really proud of that. this is our twentieth anniversary. So that's been going on for a while. That's probably the biggest thing that, that I want to save them. But um yeah, I'll be I'll be pretty much doing everything until the playoffs, you know, with CBS, They're having a great time with them. I think we've got a good team. Well, I don't think. I know we do. Mm-hmm. And um we're we're trying to do our best every week for the viewer. We really are top top to bottom. So Looking forward this week, I'm going to jump in the car tomorrow afternoon, head up to Hilton Head, then it's New Orleans, uh, you know, we've got Mexico, we're actually going to go to Scotland this year as a team, uh, the week before the Open Championship, that's a co sanction event, so we're really looking forward to that. But like I said, basically every week, with the exception of the U.S. Open, up until the playoffs, you want, you, you'll be <laughs> wanting me to get off the end. Chris, you're really by that time. I can't
1: uh-huh. imagine that ever happening. You're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough. For taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get the privilege of catching up again soon.
3: No, my pleasure, Chris. Honestly, what you do, and with all your guests, and for the game, as I said last time. Thanks should be for you, my friend. Take care. All right. Thank you.
1: All right. Take care, Frank. All the best to you and your family. That's a great Frank Navalo. I tell you, it just it just doesn't get any better than listening to uh, to Frank's analysis on golf tournaments every single week. Um, I, I mean it sincerely, not just because he comes on the show. Listening to the way that he frames up shots and gives us information about what he sees and what happens out there is, to me, the best in the game. I enjoy listening to him every single week. Yeah, he's a tremendous talent, was a great golfer. Oh, by the way, like I say, when you finish in the top 10 of all four majors, um, that's pretty special. And uh, he's a special talent and a special man. And I look forward to having him back on the show, hopefully again real soon. Okay. Before I get to my next guest, John Patrick, I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs have just released their new spring and summer 22 collections with fun, new and exciting prints like the Freedom Two and Three, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies, and their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two-under performance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at 200.com. That's the number 2, Two-under performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the two-under website. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is the host of the Augusta Golf Show and the morning show on WGAC in Augusta, John Patrick. I would venture to say that nobody knows the Masters Tournament, the course, and the impact it's had on golf history better than John does. John hosts one of the best golf radio shows on the planet. And I don't mean that just for during Master's Week. I mean year-round. It just doesn't get any better. And I've got more than just my opinion to back that up. When COVID protocols reduced the number of people and shows getting credentials for the press room at Augusta National, one radio show, one, was there. And it was John and his show. And that's all you need to know about how great John and his shows are. He's also been the Master of Ceremonies for the Mayor's Master's Reception. He's also served two terms on the board of directors for the local Ronald McDonald House, and I'm excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, John, how are you, my friend?
0: Hello, my friend. How are you?
1: I I couldn't be better. You, you, I get to talk to Eric Johnson, Frank Navalo, John Patrick, and Susie Whaley tonight. It's, uh, it's a night that's good to be me.
0: You know, um, in listening to Frank, yeah, w- we all know that originally Augusta National was uh, the front nine was the back nine. But, you know, when he said that, it, for the first time, I really thought, geez, what if the, the 10th hole was your first hole of the golf course and the 12th hole was the third hole you played? Um, it, it, it made perfect sense to flip the nine, but and just 10, thinking of 10 being the very first hole you play on the golf course. Wow. Um, uh, that's my favorite hole out there i uh, uh there's is that something right? about that golf hole, yeah, the strategy of that golf hole there's just something about it. The fact that you gotta keep it down the left side if you go right, you just the second shot just goes on forever and and I'm speaking from a not from their perspective but from the perspective of a seven handicapper um could just play that golf hole is pretty special
1: but to your point. If you had to play 10, 11, and 12 as your first three holes on the golf course, by the time you got to 13, you might be wanting just to leave the golf course. Like you you're, you've been beaten to death for three holes. That would make it very tough to want to play the fourth hole.
0: Well, it 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 speaks to why they probably did the nine holes that way. Um and and then had the decision probably having to do with the final holes of the 9s. Uh, of flipping them around, but um you know, I, I just I, I hadn't really thought about that until Frank said it. I really hadn't.
1: John, one of the things we've been talking a lot about tonight is strategy on 12. We've seen so many guys lose their opportunity to win the tournament at the bottom of Race Creek on 12 because instead of hitting their tee shot over the bunker and onto the green, And that worst case scenario, dumping it in the bunker, either the front bunker or the back bunker, figuring you're probably going to then, at worst, take four and move on. And they're going for it on the right-hand side. We saw Cam Smith have an opportunity to make a Sunday charge after making one of the rare birdies on 11, but then it all went away when he hit it into race creek at 12. What's it going to take for players to realize... If I'm going to make a charge on the back nine, it's probably not going to include making birdie on 12 unless I just get lucky or make a mistake. i got to take my three and hope to continue the charge on 13.
0: I I, I wish I had an answer for that. I don't know. I mean, there have been 86 86 masters. 11 of them have been won by two guys who just put it over the bunker. I I don't know what it's going to take to, uh, to tell them that. And I don't, not having spoken to Cam, and not really seeing anything post round. I, 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 don't know if that was the shot he wanted to hit. I don't know if he pushed it. Um, I have not seen anything about that. You don't do that. I mean, you don't. And, and, and Tiger reinforced that three years ago. Just hit it over the bunker. Make your three. It's, it's hard to explain, Chris. You really get a sense of the width of that green, not when you're playing it. But when you then walk over to the 13th tee and you kind of look back at it and you really see just how uh, narrow that shot is. Um, again, and here's the other thing about, and you don't really hear a whole lot about that. It's, it's, it's the green on the golf course with the least amount of grass. It's, it, 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 where it's, where it is, where it's positioned in those trees, it, it just always isn't the fullest. Full of screen, you're going to play. I just, I don't know why they don't hit it over the bunker. I truly don't. I understand why Scotty did what Scotty did because Cam did what he did. But, um, and Scotty got a great break. I, I, I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. Uh, I I don't know why on Sunday. You're right. You're not, ma- just make your three and go play 13 and 15. Right.
1: John, we saw Tiger grind it out for four rounds. And, and to me, the fact that he, shot 71 on Thursday and made the cut, was a win. But we know Tiger isn't out there playing ceremonial golf, just glad to make cuts and stuff like that. What What do you think he walks away from the experience, obviously struggling on the weekend? Was it too soon? Does he take anything
0: from that? What, what do you think he walks away with? You know, I always thought through this process that he would do all that he could to come back and play here one more time. If he didn't play anywhere else, he was going to try to play here one more time. And, and essentially, Chris, that's what he did. Now, we got all caught up in, in, in how well he would play and what he would do. And, and even him saying and, and the, the guys with, with whom he played in practice rounds, you know, he said that really good. Um, he could, he could, he could contend here if he could get through the 72 holes. You know, what I saw, what I thought I saw was uh, a guy who hurt more and more each day. I thought he kind of was manufacturing a swing. I thought it was interesting that, you know, it, it was a lot for him to get to eight and two. As I watched him hit T balls with his playing partners with Joaquin, he was kind of always behind Joaquin. But again, he's 46 years old. I, I didn't get a sense of a contender. I didn't get a sense. It, yeah. What is it? Maybe it was too soon, but you know, something in him, he wanted to do it. I would not be surprised if he does not play in the PGA, if he does not play in the U S open and he just, and he goes to, to St. Andrews for the 150. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Cause frankly, at the beginning of the year, if he were going to play again, that's how I saw him playing. I saw him coming back at St. Andrews.
1: John, Augusta National has added length on some of the holes this past year. They added 15 yards to 11. So it was playing 520 now as a par four with some trees removed down the right hand side. They added 20 yards to the 15th hole. This was the first time there were no Eagles made on that hole since 1965. They added 13 yards to 18. Do you think the added yardage played, you know, made the course play the way they wanted it to play? Was it good yardage or was it bad yardage?
0: You know, I think that was, that was a question we were asking in the media center on um, Sunday when nobody was making an eagle. Was this what they wanted? Was this what they wanted to have happen on on Sunday? Uh, no one making an eagle on 15. Was this what they wanted? Um, I did hear a couple of the golfers say, as far as 11 was concerned, they would like to see them lengthen that tee so that they could vary the yardage depending on the condition. You can't underestimate. What Saturday was like, Saturday was brutal, Saturday was nasty, so you know in the it, at the end yeah it, yeah Scotty Scotty shot ten under, but frankly Scotty shot twelve under, so Scotty shot you know three under each day um I think they liked that i think and i and I do think I do think to their credit that the changes on eleven and fifteen, not so much 18, on eleven and fifteen did make a difference i you just saw more players. Uh, you know, hitting third shots on 15. You saw how tough, how tough 11 played. There were even, I thought, more people hitting third shots on 13. And, and that's kind of the, the next hole in the crosshairs. I, I think Fred Ridley is, is really, really reluctant to do anything to 13. I, I just think he thinks that's so iconic. He can, he can fickle with 11 there a little bit, but you don't mess with 12. You don't mess with 13. Um, and, and I wondered, I wondered how they viewed how 13 played this year. Did it, did it satisfy them enough? Sure. A lot of people, a lot of people got on the green and two, but a lot of people, you know, were hitting third shots or, or off to the right. I've, I've always been an advocate on that whole of moving the tee down a little bit and to the left, forcing those guys to hit that tee shot out to the right. Um, I, I do think, I do think even That kind of distance changing made a difference this year, although it would have been interesting had Saturday been a typical day.
1: John, you see, don't mess with 13. But a few years ago, right, they bought the 10th hole from Augusta Country Club, and I think everyone sort of thought the next thing that was going to happen is they bought that land for a purpose. They're going to lengthen 13. They're going to move the tee back. But nothing has happened over those years since they bought it. What's the purpose of, of buying up that land other than moving the T
0: back? They bought that land for infrastructure. They had a medical incident, um, at 11 a few years ago, and they realized they could not get emergency personnel out to 11. So they bought that land as an infrastructure. They now are able to move all around the golf course, even back behind 11 green and, and, and 12 and 13 T so they can have access to that part of the golf course at a moment's notice. doesn't mean they won't move 13. They 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 can do that. But that was not the reason they bought all that land.
1: Oh, uh, okay. John, with respect to 18, I've never seen so many players hit it in the trees, either down the left or down the right side of the fairway, as I saw this year. I mean, that tee shot was already... To me, one of the most intimidating that I've ever seen on tour with the tree branches hanging over the fairway. The chute is very narrow that you have to drive the ball through. Now you move that tee back 13 yards. Now it's even more narrow to get down that chute. What are your thoughts about what they did to to 18?
0: Well, just keep in mind, just because they move a tee back 13 yards doesn't mean they use all of those yards. Um, I'm not sure they used them at all this year. It's just, it, television doesn't do it justice. As narrow as it may look to you on television, it's much more narrow. Um, I, I, I just think much like 12, I just think we've got players these days who, you know, are trying to hit the fade. And if you push it just a little bit, those trees come into play. I think Scotty double crossed himself. Um, you know, I, it, it, you just have to be careful when you hear of some of the things they do. Just because they do it doesn't mean they're going to use it. It means they have the option to use it should they see fit. I don't think the weather conditions this year allowed them to do that.
1: John, one more before I let you go. And I know on your show, you recently got to spend some time with Roger Mulpey, who has seen a lot over the course of his playing and broadcasting careers. What are some of the highlights from your conversation with him?
0: You know, it's... uh, I I've wanted to have Roger Roger on the show for a very long time and just never really happened and and when I read that when I, you know when he was going to step away from broadcasting golf at the end of last year after the Ryder Cup well I thought that was it I'd missed it I've I've had about three or four people in the life of that show that I've just missed the opportunity and I thought Roger was one of them when he came back and he frankly came back because Bones decided to go back on the bag of Justin Thomas and opened something up for NBC I picked up the phone. I got in touch with folks and, and Roger said yes. And, and Roger, Roger told the story that he often tells it. I had him on the week of the Arnold Palmer and he has a great Arnold Palmer story talking about being a young kid and, um watching Arnold play as a young child and then getting separated from his parents. And Arnold, while playing in a golf tournament, realizing this young man was separated from his parents, it brought him in under the ropes to walk with him knowing that anybody walking with Arnold Palmer would wow. be spotted and his parents spotted him and, and, and got him back. Yeah, I've heard him wow. tell the story a lot. I've heard him tell the story before, but, you know, I, I, he's never told it on my show, so that was fun.
1: <laughs> right.
0: John, before I let
1: you go, let our listeners know how they can listen to you and all of your shows and then follow you on social media as well
0: uh twitter it's at augusta golf show and the website is augustagolfshow.com nothing too fancy nothing too original just pretty much to the point um all of the conversations i have on the show are available on on the website and if they want to hear the entire show that's possible too uh you know alexa will do it uh it's, it's on the iHeartRadio radio app as i say on the show it's however you stream at home you can listen to the show
1: well, John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're always such a treat to listen to. You've got great stories and insights. I can't thank you enough.
0: Chris, it's always good to talk to you. Frank said it earlier. You really are. You really are the nicest guy in this business. Um Thanks for having
2: me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, sir.
0: All the best to you and your family. I look forward to
1: catching up with you again soon. See you, Chris. See you, John. That's the great John Patrick. And again, folks, He he should be the godfather of radio because he is outstanding at what he does. His shows are absolutely the best. The Augusta Golf Show, you can find it online. And uh, I'm always tickled when I get the opportunity to have John as part of the show. He's a wonderful talent and a great person, and I can't thank him enough. Look forward to catching up with him again soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Susie Whaley, I want to talk to you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Have you been custom fit for your putter? or even for your wedges, Adele Golf is the industry leader in scoring club fitting. Their putter fitting system is the most complete putter fitting system in golf. The EAS line of putters can get your putting dialed in. Also check out their swing match system wedges with weight adjustability to make sure your wedges are truly fit to your swing. Go to AdeleGolf.com and schedule your fitting today. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment? Maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of nine yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com Get the Square's 30-day money-back guarantee and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Square's, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Susie Whaley. Let me remind you about Susie's background. She's from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. She played her college golf at the University of North Carolina, where she lettered all four years she was there. Her senior year, she tied for 43rd in the NCAA National Championship. She helped the team win several team titles, including two Duke Spring Invitationals. She graduated with her degree in economics. She played on the LPGA Tour for a few years in the early 90s. In 2003, she became the first woman to qualify to play in a PGA Tour event since Babe Diedrich Zaharias did it in 1945. She qualified by winning the Connecticut PGA Championship. She won just about every tournament there is to win in the state of Connecticut, including three Women's Open titles. She competed in the USGA Senior Women's Open and the Senior PGA Championship. She is annually recognized as one of Golf Magazine's Top 100 instructors, as well as a Top 50 instructor by Golf Digest and the LPGA. She is one of just a few instructors who is both a PGA and LPGA master professional. She was recently the first female president of the PGA of America. Last summer, she was inducted into the Connecticut Golf Hall of Fame. You can also hear Susie doing some broadcasting for some tournaments like the Masters last week, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. And I couldn't be more honored to have her back again with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hi, Susie. Thanks for coming back on the show.
4: Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm
0: fantastic.
4: How are you? I am doing Great. I just came back from Augusta, and then I'm headed back up uh, to North Florida to do a little uh, PGA Tour Live. So it's been a good good run.
1: Susie, before we get into all the golf stuff, and I certainly want to talk about some of the broadcasting stuff you've done, but how stoked were you when North Carolina beat Duke in the Final Four?
4: I mean, let's just talk about that for the whole show. <laughs> 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 I mean, come on. I mean, the beginning of our season, it was looking not great and not as everyone is well aware. Um, So for them just to get to the 16 I was thrilled and then oh my gosh and then for them to take on Duke and what an incredible game. I mean that just was an incredible game for anybody that watched it and all due respect to Coach K but just no problem going out the way he did for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And Susie I want to so take I- you back to your time in college at North Carolina because as a a young woman being there in college laying in your dorm room dreaming about what your future you know might hold PGA and LPGA Master Professional only a few people have achieved that obviously president of the PGA of America first female to do that Go- uh, Connecticut Golf Hall of Fame getting in there getting to play Augusta National back in the day must have seemed like something that would be impossible at the time. And, and then one of the greatest impacts ever on the game of golf were the things that you've done for inclusion and junior players and all of that. I mean, is it, is it, are the things you have achieved? You ever sit back and think, I would have never guessed that I'd be able to do that sort of thing with my golf career. It, you know, it's, it's
4: humbling for sure because golf just uh is this unbelievable vehicle uh to change people's lives and it certainly has changed mine. I, I wasn't intended to be a golf professional. I was gonna go to law school and so as I said on my dorm room bed, no, I I didn't I didn't imagine at all anything um uh, like this uh that my career has become or or my family, my husband's a golf professional, I have a daughter who's competing professionally, another daughter who plays collegiate golf. So yeah we need to plays for Duke now we we don't have to talk about that, but <laughs> um <laughs> at the end of the day you know i I'm so grateful um for sports. I'm so grateful for the game of golf. I'm so grateful my mom introduced me to the game uh at a young age and um uh, for for all the people who have supported me along the way that have opened doors, you know it's a sad day uh for so many of us today is Shirley Spork, one of the founders of the LPGA, passed away this morning, and Shirley was a friend, uh, Shirley was a mentor, but when you look at Shirley and you think, without even being dramatic, I, I would not be in the position I'm in without Shirley Spork and those 12 founders who started the LPGA and, and opened the opportunity for so many of us to walk through a door and, and have golf as our career. I certainly... You know, can't compare myself to any of those founders but at the end of the day without them um I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have the career i have and and so you know she'll be she'll be missed but um we will those of us who are in the game will continue to work hard for her
1: Susie, speaking about doing things at a young age, I read a story that said you got hooked on the game one day as a nine year old swimming in the pool of the club that your parents belong to. The boys decide to go over to hit golf balls on the range. You jump out of the pool, go over there with them, start hitting golf balls in your swimsuit, which was a (laughs) no-no. Someone called your mom off the golf course, and instead of being mad at you, she asked, did you like this? And the next thing you know, you're getting the appropriate attire, and off you go. Is that how it happened?
4: I mean, that's exactly how it happened. I was endlessly competing against the boys, whether they were in the pool or... Whatever was happening at the time, I just wanted to, to be a part of it. And off they were going to hit golf balls and I wasn't, heck, I wasn't going to be left behind. So off I went knowing full well I wasn't supposed to go in my swimsuit, but I didn't want to, I <laughs> said I didn't want to be left behind. And uh, off I went to the driving range, hit some balls and you can only imagine the, the fiasco that caused, uh, for my parents who were out playing golf and my mom headed in and just as you said, instead of, Instead of scolding me, I always look at this as this great, incredible teaching moment for my mom. She just asked me if I liked it. And I told her I did. And and that was the beginning of, of just being with my mom. My mom was an avid golfer. She loved it. She was looking for a pal. And anytime uh, she wanted to go play, I wanted to join in. And, and that's really how I grew to love the game. It wasn't intended to be something I got good at or something I had to play in tournaments or or any of that. It was really just time I got to spend one on one with my mom. And uh I you know I look back on that. Uh so thankful for it.
1: And Susie, like I mentioned in your intro, I listened to you this past week doing the broadcast there at Augusta National. Loved your insights and the things that you added to the broadcast. Do you enjoy doing that?
4: Oh well, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. And uh I do enjoy doing it. I I wish I had more time to do more. Um, I've got a, you know, a lot going on, um, with other things in golf, but when I get the chance to do it, I, I really do truly enjoy it. And then to be able to do it, uh, at the masters was, was certainly a treat. Uh, albeit I would have liked it to be 80 every day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for, for
4: those of you that were there, um, I, I think you understand what I'm talking about. We went through, you know, tornadoes and, and, horrible weather the first couple of days and then I'm telling you I, I don't know that I've ever been that cold on a golf course in my life on Saturday Um and then Sunday it was really hot so it was just the tale of four seasons as far as I was concerned and uh, as you walked around that property you know you can only help but take it all in because it is such a difficult test and I was there also for the Augusta um Women's Amateur Championship so it you know, I had an opportunity to broadcast for that too. So it was just a treat to be able to um, really kind of dissect the greens more so than I ever had before to to watch the shot making that was occurring under conditions that certainly weren't optimum and to see the performance level that these players have. We We all know that. We watch golf week in and week out. We know they're really good. We know the tagline is such, we know these women are really good, but I'm here to tell you um, the performances that I saw were were incredible.
1: And Susie, I was there on Saturday at the Augusta National for the Women's Amateur Tournament uh, watching a good friend of the show, Avery Zweig, uh, go around that golf course and certainly enjoyed everything that I saw from that tournament. Talk about what that tournament is doing to help us grow the game.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, as we look to junior golf, I mean, if you just compared to when I was growing up, we, we only had a few events that we had the opportunity to play in. We, there wasn't an AJGA. There were not state golf association run events other than the state junior championship, which of course, um, all of us would play in that. There was a the USGA junior and then there was the PGA junior and that was really it, uh, for your high level competition to be recruited, to be able to compete, because for those of us that love to compete, we awaited those anxiously, um, you know, for months, uh, as the summer grew in. I grew up in Syracuse, New York, so we did have a very short window to play the game. And, but that, those were the things you really wanted to qualify for and look forward to. You know, fast forward to today, or where, you know, the golf has just boomed, not only through the last two years, but as far as juniors are concerned with opportunities and that opportunity spans uh, boys and girls, which I, of course, am, am thrilled about. And I mentioned the AJGA, but there's also many other uh, the hurricane tours. There's many other tours that have grown because of the demand uh, in the junior space uh, for golf and, and for tournament golf. And as you look to these high-level national uh, opportunities, and you see an amateur championship like one held at Augusta National Golf Club, you know, if you think of somebody my age, I I couldn't imagine um, a women's event being held there 20 years ago. And 20 years ago is not that long ago. And as you look to Drive, Tip, and Putt and the partnership the PGA of America, the USGA, and Augusta National Golf Club has together to uh, showcase uh, junior golf in a way that allows anyone To have an opportunity to try to qualify for that particular event is really pretty special. And, you know, my niece played in that tournament this year. I had a firsthand seat watching her play at Champions Retreat. She did not qualify for Saturday, but she did have the opportunity to play the golf course on Friday. And, I mean, what a treat. She had her twin brother uh, flew in from the University of Texas at Austin to be able to walk inside the ropes with her uh, at Augusta National Golf Club. I think he was probably more in awe than she. <laughs> He's like, can I, can I bring my club with me? You know, and, and the answer, of course, is no. But, uh, you know, it just, it was fun for me to watch a family member have an opportunity that I never imagined, uh, whatever happened. So, you know, as we look toward the allies, as we look to those that are at Augusta National Golf Club, as we look to be more inclusive and include all in the game, I'm certainly, uh, I'm thrilled to see championships grow
1: uh, like that one has and through the speaking of having few opportunities for for junior golf tournaments when you were 11 i read you got banned from playing in an event do you mind sharing that story and how that shaped your career
4: <laughs> yeah you know i that's actually you do you did your homework chris <laughs> 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 i um uh, yeah i i signed up and uh you know, obviously we didn't have computers. So when you signed up for a tournament, it was by hand on a poster board and typically it was in Sharpie and, you know, you know, 12 spaces down the left hand side. In this particular case, there were 16 spaces and a black line and you wrote your name on the line and, and, and off you went and waited for the date for that tournament to happen. And it was at uh, a club where my family uh, played at the time. And I put my name on the board second and um, was thrilled. To participate and couldn't wait to compete. It didn't matter to me whether I played against boys or girls. I just, I just wanted to compete. And uh, when I had come back, my name was 17th. Uh, and, um, you know, my family, I didn't realize this had happened at the time, but it was a boys tournament and I was unable to participate. And I just, I, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I just didn't understand why I couldn't just go play and why it mattered. But, you know, I look back at that now and. And honestly, I giggle because it's come a long way uh, because that same girl who was excluded played in a PGA Tour event. <laughs> you know? So so I'm happy for where we've come. Um, and certainly, uh, as I look back on moments like that, I, I will continue to challenge the status quo. I continue to push um, for the ability for, for people to play together. Uh, PGA Junior League is a perfect example of that, where boys and girls compete together um, with as a team and as partners, uh, with jerseys on and, and that was really uh for me uh the impetus uh for the PGA of America, for my backing of PGA Junior League. There were many of us involved in that decision obviously, but I was a huge advocate because I wanted boys and girls to participate uh in the game, enjoy the game, learn the game, uh, compete in the game side by side. So as they grew into young men and young women Um, They saw each other as just golfers. They didn't see each other as, oh, well, here comes a girl golfer, or, you know, I don't want to play with the boys. I wanted them to, to enjoy the game and have fun in it uh, together. And so that's, that's been wonderful and a, and a wonderful outcropping of, of probably some of my background for sure.
1: And Susie, one of the things that I think you became known for when you became president was sort of asking the question, why can't we? And an organization, that is very typically slow to react, you were able to get the organization to start to think differently. Talk about that and the challenge to take an an old organization that wasn't too nimble, start asking, why can't we, and get them to start to change their way of thinking.
4: Well, we're we're an old organization. We're over 100 years old, an organization that's very proud. I'm very proud to wear the PGA logo and be a member of that organization, you know, do great work in communities all over uh, the country and and some outside uh, the country now as well where we have PGA professionals working internationally. Um, But the PGA of America is is still predominantly male. It's 95% male and 5% female. And I certainly wanted to see the opportunities built uh, for women to see golf as a career for themselves uh, like I've enjoyed so much. Um, My husband's a PGA professional. But I wanted to dive into the fact of, of why more women and why more uh, non white were not members of the PGA of America. You know, what, what was holding us back in that space? And, and how could we put programming in early, even at the junior level, to showcase who we are, what we do, and that you can have a career in this game, regardless of gender, culture, background, or color. And so when you ask yourself questions, like that, you know, even when I was running for office for the PGA of America, you know, I felt like I was running as a qualified PGA professional, not as a as a girl, but just as a qualified PGA professional who had gone through um, a lot in her career, who um, had had really gone through my education as I should have through my career. And, and I felt like I could do a really good job. Um, so I asked myself the question, well, why not me? Why, why, why can't I be? president of this organization. And so I carried that into my service uh, in the boardroom and, and wanted to ensure that there was representation and that uh, we had the opportunity not just to have uh, one female in the room, but more than one. And I was able to bring in a few independent directors to do that. And, and the purpose for that, uh, it wasn't just to place females in the room, but it was really to bring diversity of thought to the room and to showcase the fact that diversity is has many many dimensions it's not just gender um it's it's you know where you grew up and and uh you know what your culture is, what your religion is, what your sexuality is so much more than just gender. but when you bring a diverse room together uh in my opinion, um the thought that comes out of that room is stronger, and the direction and strategy that comes out of that room is stronger because you have. Um, perceptions coming from people that are actually reality, uh, from a different seat of where we all experience the game and how we could bring consumers, uh, into the game in a way that they could see themselves. And, and that, that was critical to me. We also wanted to do it in our staff, uh, at HQ and certainly in the procurement for all of our championships, including, um, you know, minority based businesses, uh, in our, in our vendor championships when we, um, are solidifying those in towns all over the world and all over the country. So so for me, it was, it was really just ensuring that we had that diversity of thought so that we could be a stronger, better, and more nimble organization.
1: Susie, how do we get you to run for president next go around? That's <laughs> what I'm starting to think now. How do we get you in the White House? There's got to be a campaign started, someone's got to get that going. <laughs>
4: Well, I appreciate that, but no thank you. (laughs) I have taken a new job as president of a company called Golf Nation. So I am the president of a new company, and we're a a digital streaming country company, a consumer-centric platform that's going to deliver golf uh, content for lifestyle and anything to do with the game. Think of what Food Network did for food. It made me think I could cook. We're
1: going to do that for golf. Awesome. I Can't wait to hear more about that now.
2: So good for you.
4: No,
1: Susie, you. just couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned your daughter. I want to talk about Kelly for a minute because she did something that only most of us could ever dream about doing on a golf course. And she made eight birdies in a row in an event on the ladies European tour. Talk about that.
4: You're, you're absolutely right. She did a couple weeks ago. Uh, Kelly, uh, played in the last three LET events, or I think she missed the last one, but the three prior to that. And it was, um, I it was getting text messages from a gentleman that was with her there, um, from the Lions sports group. And I, I think it was probably the fifth birdie she had made. And he was texting me, Kelly had five birdies. And I was like, wow, good for her. She's having a good day. And then I looked back at my phone about, I don't know, 25 minutes later, he's like, seven birdies. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Then he gave me eight birdies in a row. And it was one of those moments where, as a parent, um, you were just constantly looking at your phone because you thought, oh, my gosh, can she make nine? Can she make ten? But we're incredibly proud of her. She ended up doing 63, tying a course record, but set a uh, latest European tour record with eight birdies in a row. So good for her.
2: Absolutely good for her.
1: Suzy, I, am, I had Jane Blaylock on the show a couple of times here not that long ago, and we're continuing our partnership between her and the LPGA Legends Tour this year. You played some events out on that tour. Are we going to get to see you out there this year?
4: You are going to see me out there this year. I just committed to playing with Trish Johnson in the BJ's Charity Championship, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to partnering with Trish.
1: Susie, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're out there doing? Now, obviously, president of of a new company and then other things that you'll be involved with with the game of golf.
4: Well, GolfNation.com, that's the company I've just joined as president, but you can find me anywhere on social. I'm on Twitter at Suzy Whaley, Instagram at Susie Whaley. I'm on LinkedIn, Susie Whaley, so it's not hard to find me. <laughs> but if you love golf, um, you got to listen to your show, Chris, because I think you do this fabulous job, and I just thank you so much for all that you do.
1: Well, I appreciate you very much, Susie. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of this show. I hope we get the privilege. I'm catching up with you again before too long. Would love to. Thank you, Susie. Take care. All the best to you and your family.
4: You too, Chris. Bye-bye.
1: See you, Susie. That's the great Susie Whaley, folks. It doesn't get much better than that. You want to talk about a great individual out there doing great things for our game. Well, you have looked no further than Susie Whaley. And I'm serious. When I think about someone who should run for president for our country because of the great things that she is able to get people to do and organize and grow inclusion and all the wonderful things that she has done for, you know, junior golf and uh, women's golf and the men's game and uh, the PGA of America and just all of those things. That's what we need in the White House. We need someone that can get people together and diversity of thought and all of those great things. Boy, if she ran for president, she'd get my vote. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tea. My sincere thanks go out to Eric Johnson, Frank Navalo, John Patrick, and Susie Whaley for joining me tonight. Next week, folks, I'm going to take the week off because it's my birthday on Tuesday, so I'll be celebrating that and doing some relaxing, enjoying my family. So we'll get back together again two weeks from tonight on April 26th. Scheduled to join me that night are... Champions Tour Pro Scott McCarran will be back, as will one of the all-time great PGA professionals, Bob Ford, will be here. One of my favorite people on the planet, Matthew Lawrence, will join me that night as well. And then we'll round it out with Adele Golf's Chief Marketing Officer, Chris Kosky. So it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, AudioBoomPlayer.fm, Player.fm, Podbean. If you have a favorite podcasting site or app, just go to the search bar. Type in Next on the T. am sure you'll probably find us on there as well. Please check out my website, NextOnTheT.net to see what my upcoming schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links back to our recent episodes and individual guest segments as well for you. So whether you've got two hours, 90 minutes, an hour, 20 minutes, we've got content on there for you. I can't thank you all enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you've got a lot of golf podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful that you're making Next on the T one of them. Until two weeks from tonight, hit them straight, my friends.